Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Today on the Sandro Forte podcast, I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Gilo Cardozo. Gilo is an aviation engineering specialist, got to find out what one of those is, a seasoned adventurer and an executive chairman of Gilo Industries Group, an advanced engineering company. Quoted on their website, Gilo Industries is the Disneyland of engineering. I'm sure you'll all agree with me that we're intrigued to hear how this man approaches business and the enjoyment he gets from defying convention, another one of his little phrases. Um, A mutual friend has introduced us. And um, when we did the research, I don't think my research team have ever been more excited about delving into the life of this man, because honestly, we're never going to cover this in 30 minutes. Whichever way we turn, something else is going to surprise us, I'm sure. And I'm not quite sure how he fits it all in. Um, But we're going to dive in, see what we can do in 30 minutes. We might have to get him back for for a second go round. Uh, but Gilo, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. I know you are extraordinarily busy man, but thank you very much for finding the time for us today. No, no, welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Pleasure. Now, as I mentioned, you are a very busy man. Let's just start with the people out there, and there's a lot of them, Gilo, um, that may not necessarily know you, 48 countries around the world. So for those that don't know you, um, would you mind just sharing a little bit of background, where it all started, what took you on this journey to where you are now um, and, and, you know, the, the, the businesses that you run and the successes you enjoy. Uh, just be very interesting to find out um, a little bit more about the man we're speaking to today. Okay, so, yeah, good one. Um, I mean, this, the business I'm, I'm now running started when I was about 18. And um, I, looking sort of days before that, years before that, I always was obsessed by making things when I was, uh, you know, as many of these engineers are, you know, couldn't stop wanting to build things, pull them apart, the rest of it. But very quickly, I, I, um, I got into making engines at a very young age. I think I built my first engine on my lathe and my mill when I was about sort of 12 or 13 years old. And I, and I, and I, uh, engines were the beginning point. Of course, everything's got electric at the moment now, but this, it all started with engines that power you to do exciting things. So I, I, and I'll never forget, I was about 15 years old when I saw a little tiny picture of a man with a fan strapped to his back. I was in a physics lesson at school, sort of probably not really paying attention and just sifting through a magazine and saw this little tiny thumbnail picture of this man with a fan strapped to his back. And I thought, what on earth is that? It looks kind of awesome and mad all at the same time. And, and I did, you know, this is before the internet. This is back in sort of early 90s. And came across the thing. It was actually, it was a new invention and it propelled you into the air with a paraglider wing. And so you attach the two together and you got propulsion on your back and you've got a paraglider to give you lift above your head and you could fly around. And I, and as I more looked into this, I realized this was something that was new up and coming. It really was the sort of, it was the very first stages of, the, of a safe personal aircraft. And so I actually managed to find an old army friend who, um, interesting enough, his son, it was uh, James Blunt, the, the musician. 
And he he's quite a wild aviator, this guy. This is, this is James Blunt's dad. And he he had one of these machines. I managed to get it off him for very little. And I taught myself to fly it. And that was the beginning of the business. When I was about 18 years old, I, I became essentially obsessed by flying these backpack aircraft. And, and the business kicked off from that. Um, and that was really the start of Gilo Industries, I say. I started off making little uh, sort of long-range fuel tanks for these machines. And before, before long, I was building the engines and making welding the frames and getting the harnesses made out in Asia and put, pieced the thing together and started this company called it was a sort of brand of Gino Industries called Parajet. And I kind of always had this ridiculously tongue-in-cheek thing of Gino Industries. It was sort of a bit of a ridiculous name, really. But but it was sort of slightly, uh, meant to be slightly amusing. I wasn't, I was one guy in a shed, frankly, you know. Um, so, so there was no industries about it. But anyway, Parajet became this brand of backpack aircraft that I started sort of selling all over the world. And it came with a lot of, a lot of challenges, I have to say. Trying to make an engine at face value, these machines look simple. You know, you put a fan and a propeller on your uh, and an engine on your back in a rucksack kind of format. And the reality behind making it was actually really challenging. And uh, you know, I'd have machines going wrong around the world. I'd be flying off to meet different customers, and and all the things that actually, when the reality hits, was always a sort of there was a there's a wonderful split between the dream and the reality at times. You know, I created these machines for people to love and have fun with and go out and explore the world and fly above the clouds. And, and then the reality hit sometimes, the customers on the ground desperately wanted to fly, the engine wouldn't start. And I'd, you know, put my life work into building these engines and they weren't blooming working. And it was sort of, it was all these the sort of the dichotomy or the, 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 the sort of trying to find that, keeping the enthusiasm going when, uh, when the customers are, but eventually we got there and we've sold thousands and thousands of those machines around the world now. Wow. So, I can so I, yeah. Would you describe yourself as a bit of a mad professor then? I started off definitely. And I, and I tell you what, very much a mad professor initially, but trying to become more of a understanding how the business world works was quite a challenge because starting out with waking machines that people, you know, I, I was so uncommercial originally. I just wanted to share the fun with as many people as possible. You know, I, I thought this is something that everyone should be experiencing. You know, flying bare feet above the clouds on a, on a little tiny machine strapped to your back. It was an extraordinarily exhilarating experience. And I, and, and I just wanted to give them away, frankly. I didn't, didn't, and then gradually I realized, I'm going to really make great machines. I need to make profit margins. I need to get a commercial head on me. And that's when I sort of, you know, it was a hard learning process. Um, so, so, yeah, my professor turned, you know, trying to make the proper business work, you know. <laughs> I, I'm, Jalo, I'm really interested to, to ask you this question, which is that, you know, a lot of people, um, that, you know, they, 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 I'll, I'll give you an example, fairly topical at the moment. You know, people invest money at the top of a market, you know, when things have gone brilliantly well for a period of time or, property prices have skyrocketed. So people have that natural confidence to then want to follow suit or cryptocurrency is another example. But, but you enter an arena, a business arena, when it's kind of new and, and therefore presents a whole bunch of additional risks, right? Um, I know there are lots of people listening to this podcast who've got an innovative idea or see an opportunity, but the market or the, the, the territory is quite uncharted and therefore it feels scary. Um, you've achieved success because you went into something when you saw the opportunity rather than wait for the comfort of knowing it worked. So what advice would you give to people who've got that kind of the great idea or really want to embark on a journey, but feel like they need the comfort 
of consensus to see that everyone else is doing it first. And then, and then they, what they do is they get to the market too late and can't make it commercially work. It's a really interesting point. And I've made the same mistake further down the road myself in some ways. Um, and I think that starting one was, was driven so wholly by a kind of passion of desire to fulfill um, you know, the, the, the dream of sharing flight with as many people, people as possible. It didn't occur to me at that time to do it any other way. However, I think, you know, having, having gone down this process and over years and years later, I've come across exactly what you're, what you're talking about. And I think that, and made the mistake, as I say, made the same mistake myself in some ways by, by not getting in at the right time. But there is some classics here because I learned so much from other people's mistakes. And so it's not by any means, you know, you're one's own and others. Um, it's by no means uh, a kind of when, you know, you see your third mover, your fourth mover into the market, it could be a really good place to be. And there's no rules. That's the that's the challenge. I hate to not have a sort of a simple answer. there, But, but it can be incredibly helpful to come in late, <laughs> but it can and it can and that can actually really bite you back to come in first because you haven't learned, learned, learned through all those years of mistakes of other people. I'd say my, my biggest challenge with this was we, we you know, entered into that game when it was not heard about at all. And through various marketing stunts, we've got the Parajet concept known far, far more mainstream um, by doing things with, with some, you know, Bear Grylls was a good example as a, as a high profile person who essentially brought it to more people. And I think that the reality is it, was, it, it feels like a much bigger adventure from a business perspective, to go right in the beginning, but it's definitely uh, you don't you, that sort of first mover advantage. Well, it's not really because <laughs> actually you get in a little bit later down the road. The market's been established. All you need to do is take ten percent of that market, or two percent, or whatever that is, or, or, or less, and you've got a solid business. So you know it's a it's a, it's a tricky one. I I've done I, I, I jumped into the personal watercraft business further down the road because I realized that, you know, uh, the, the personal aircraft was fantastic, but I, I also love whizzing around on water. So we made these jet boards, um, you know, super neat, super cool product that you can fly around on the water on, you can carry it under your arm like a surfboard, but jump on the water and you shoot around at 40 miles an hour and it's fantastic. Um, and actually we, we were probably, the, the, the concept was, was very well, it's a well-known concept, you know, everyone's probably thought about a powered surfboard, you know, why it's pretty obvious. Executing it really well was very challenging. Um, delivering a product that customers really want to use, and I think we've learned so much again from that process of, of, of the feedback we had over the first three years of that business. Crikey, if I could have that delivered to me from day one, um, oh, I wouldn't have made a fraction of the mistakes or meant to put the millions we spent trying to, you know, <laughs> relearn things. I um, I was looking at your website again uh, before the show started today. And um, I, I want to pick up on a couple of things that I partially mentioned in the introduction. Um, defying convention is in our DNA. Just, just tell us what you mean by that, because, I mean, that leads nicely on from the answer you've just given. But tell us a little bit about what you mean by defying convention and it being in your DNA. Well, I think uh, our company is really about, you know, you've got to make bold steps sometimes. And people will laugh at you and people will think you're kind of, you know, maybe a bit crazy. And... One of the products that we have come up with is a, is a, you know, and this may be not something that is a mainstream product, but we have built engines for, uh, we started a company essentially to build the new kind of vertical takeoff aircraft. And 
some of the challenges that come with that are, are colossal and people would say well you know this can't be done or but but maybe they didn't you know maybe they don't know what we know so it wasn't really a fair judgment case um but certainly jumping in as a small time player into the aviation industry building engines that are now certified and into helicopters with major aerospace companies but it's something we're really proud of you know we build world-class engines uh, up to 200 horsepower engines for aviation applications and that is you, you, these small companies like this don't do that these, that's the way for big companies to do that but we've come in with a different tack and we said we're going to develop a brand new kind of engine for for helicopters for example in this case and it's been a 10-year development program and it's not something you normally connect with a small company in rural Dorset, building engines that are going into helicopters that are worth millions of pounds. It's, it's sort of exciting that it's happened. But that sort of defying convention thing is that, yeah, we, we're a small business doing things that the big companies kind of do. But we managed to, I, and I think it's something that you know, the team here, I know we're, we're all proud of that we actually managed to do it. Certifying engines is really hard. A lot of rigor, um, thousands of hours of testing on, on test rigs. And then the other thing is things like the flying car. You know, we've got this wonderful product called the Explorer, which is essentially uh, one of the backpack aircraft, but turned into a car. So you've got a, a propeller on the back with a special twin transmission system on the back of the car. Uh, we developed a special engine for, again, one of our helicopter engines goes into our flying car, actually. And you can fly to thousands of feet above the clouds. But you can also drive down the road. It's a road eagle machine. Um, and we, we just, you know, we launched it last year. We've got people all over the world looking to buy them. And it was, I think you could definitely say that was sort of defying convention in many ways because it was the world's first road legal flying car. And people kind of laughed at it, but actually it's real. And we, we've done it and it's exciting, you know. I don't, I don't know. I, I, about 35 years ago, I remember watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That car could fly. <laughs> <laughs> the, road, the road legal bit was a bit that was key. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and you mentioned the fact, you know, it's, I think you said 10 year project um, as a as an entrepreneur, as a businessman, as a leader of people. Um, how easy or difficult is it for you to stay focused on that mission? You know, when you know something, you know, so many people, Jaila, are after kind of quick wins in life and business. And, and yet you embark on a project where, you know, you see the outcome, but it's a long way away. There are going to be many, many obstacles on, on that journey. How do you kind of stay focused? Is there, you know, is there a mantra you, you live and work by? Do you, do you unfortunately fall over from time to time and ask yourself the inevitable question that we all ask ourselves, you know, is now the time to quit? How, how, e how easy or difficult is it for you to stay focused when you've got a 10-year plan? Uh, it's very, I, I find it incredibly difficult personally um, because some of the projects we do, be a, as you say, a, a multi-year plan and other ones we were trying to get wrapped up in, in a year and into production and out in the market. And um, I specifically have projects that are, we can turn around fairly rapidly, comparatively speaking, because it's it's not exciting enough commercially to wait 10 years to get a product ready. So you've got to do things in parallel. And people get frustrated with me for it. You know, I mean, it's a bit crazy. Why, why don't you just focus on one thing at a time? I said, but I, I can't focus on developing a new aircraft engine because it's a, at the same, you know, I, only because there's no commercial reality behind it for many years. But I can do that in parallel with another commercial project that might be turned around in a year. I mean, the Jetboard company, we developed it at the beginning, it was in January, and by the following January, we were in production and we started selling and that's why we did projects like that. Like more commercially, there's more commercial action that's exciting. So I think it's actually quite healthy. I mean, I'm not really, to be honest, Sandra, I'm not, I'm not 
I'm not really a businessman. I, I love inventing things and, and developing things. If I didn't have to go out and sell them, I'd be very happy. But I have to sell them because I've got to get money coming in to pay for the next development. You know, that's the painful truth about it. But I, I, you know, I think what I've discovered is if we keep these two parallel projects going, I can fulfill that desire to build a sort of game-changing engine in one respect, but which I know is going to take many years, while still having the fun and the commercial reality of, of these other projects. But focus is jolly difficult. I, I, I have to split up my week. I have a quite a good routine that says I do this on this day and that. Otherwise, you just get them blurred and, and you, you don't you don't get the amount of amount of uh, focus you need. Otherwise, it was a kind of a rhetorical question because I knew what the answer was going to be, but you gave a very very good answer because a lot of people do, you know, get very sidetracked um, and and you know they they fall off the that journey in life and business uh, and, and commercially it can be often catastrophic because they, you know, they have the, the long-term plan, which is great, but, but nothing to keep them kind of motivated and commercially um, in, in a good place in the short term. Uh, on, the subject of, on the subject of innovation, Gilo, um, I think I'm right in saying, I might have this statistically wrong, and if anyone wants to correct me out there, you, you're very welcome. You can email us in the usual email address. Uh, but I think I'm right in saying that of the top 100 companies in the world, by, by market capitalization 100 years ago, something like 17 of them, only 17 of them still exist, never mind not in the top 100. And, and I think a lot, a lot of that is to do with a lack of adaptation and innovation. So, um, you know, clearly you are an innovator. Um, we tongue-in-cheek described you as the, the mad professor. Um, clearly very creative, coming up with new ideas, ideas all the time. Uh, again, might sound like an obvious question, but the 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 place for innovation and adaptation, reinvention, uh, to use a word that you'll be very familiar with, how important is that in the progress of your business and, and indeed the progress of others if people came knocking on your door asking for advice? I think the, this is a really tricky one because the balance is so important to find. You absolutely have to have both. And I get it in the ear from the whole time from the team when I'm wanting to develop new things. And like, we haven't even commercialized the last one yet, you know. And, and I'm sure there's, you know, many people are guilty of this kind of thing because the excitement of the new product is, is greater than the excitement that you get from reproducing the same thing time and time again and commercializing it, depending on your nature. So I think it's a really interesting point you brought up. Um, the fact that, so I, and I always bring this one up exactly with my team, is that companies that aren't reinventing themselves are the ones that die. You know, There's, how many how many of the great steam engine companies do we see today? None, not a single one of them. They could have reinvented themselves and done combustion engines. They could, have, but they just simply weren't they weren't dynamic enough. And you know, I've been right at the thick of this with developing years worth of combustion engines to only find you know. That the electric revolutions kicked in and I could have spent that time developing electric motors. But we, of course, have embraced that and said, we've always known electric motors are great. In fact, you know, uh, we've, we've got that now in parallel here in our business. We're, 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 you know, we're, we're looking to do both. But if you don't, you know, it, the problem is scale. I think it's much easier for us than it is for a huge company. And I think people overlook the realities. We, we complain about big companies not being maneuverable enough. But they financially, they, they can't. It's such a dramatic shift for them, for a car company to suddenly shift overnight when you've got billions invested in tooling for something you've got to monetize and it's got to have its life cycle. You can see exactly why it happens. And so 
I think it's an e- it's so easy to look at the problem, but to solve it when you've got a massive tank moving along and thousands of people employed and factory lines and everything, that's where we see this fallout because it's an incredibly difficult thing to navigate. What projects or projects have excited you the most on your journey? Um, the most exciting stuff for us by far is the vertical takeoff aircraft development programs. So when you're test flying a new kind of aircraft, and you're doing it in top secret and no one knows that you're testing this what presumably looks like a sort of you know straight out of a sort of um you know the kind of future sci-fi movie uh it, it you know it's super exciting so i, I don't want to dwell too much on, on that tech but it's something that has been um being we've been developing a particular thing for about 12 years now a new kind of aircraft and uh, you know being a test pilot on that kind of stuff and getting out there in the field and jumping on and flying around and experiencing the reality of a dream you know uh, what you you know when you conceive of these things and you imagine it and then you're there and you're powering up the system switching it on taking off it's hugely exhilarating actually but you know do, do not get too carried away with that i'd say that that I've been very lucky in, in many respects with the, all the products we build, whether it's a backpack flying machine, whether it's a jet board, a new motorbike, uh, the new flying car, they're all, I, I have to build things I'm really excited about. That's one thing I've realized. And, and those things, I get a huge thrill out of using all of them actually. So, and that's kind of ultimately why we, why we make them. Cause I, I think other people will too. Yeah. I, the other thing I, I kind of know about you, I looked at the website and we've done a lot of Google searching and, uh, spoken to a couple of people that know you. How important is having fun in your business and enjoying what you do? I mean, I know that you say you frustrate your team because you're always inventing stuff and they're always kind of uh, trying to catch up. Um, but what helps you to create a business where fun's at the heart of your culture? You know, is is it a fun process? Is it not a fun process? Do you have to try really hard to make it fun? Um, yeah, you do. You, you do have to. I think. I think it's a really good point. It's one that I'm always battling with, to be honest, Sandra. I, I want it to be fun. You know, of course I do. Um, I, you know, the business came from a sort of hobby to become a, you know, it should be, it should be all those things. But the reality is often as well, you've got to get, you've got to do the hard work. You've got to get the day and you're flat out sometimes, you know, 24 hours a day to get stuff out of the door. And, and actually sometimes you can't get out and fly the machine you want to as quickly as you want to because you're too busy doing other things. And I, I, I think that um, we, need to, we need to get better at it. We, 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 it's not like um, we have a lovely things like a fly to work scheme. People fly to work in the morning and, you know, in the summer. And we want to, you know, it, there's lots of things we, we try to instill in the team and to get more people on board with using our products. And I'm doing it every year. I've got to come up with a new kind of incentive or initiative to, to get people out. Actually get it, and also, you know, with Instagram and all the other things, you know, Getting our boys and getting our, the, the team here on the kit is all part of part of marketing, you know. But the reality is, is that we're blooming busy, <laughs> you know. So, so it's a difficult balance to find, you know. Everyone's flat out the door, getting stuff out of the door, so every, every day. So um, I, I'm trying to instill something this year that is that we we make sure that a certain number of hours every week are spent getting out and using our toys because people get drawn into just building, building, building the whole time and they don't have enough time to actually use them. <laughs> so quite, quite an interesting insight because you're absolutely right. It's definitely a, a, a tr- tricky balance. Yeah. And, and Jilo, one of the questions we get asked by a lot of our listeners, we get emails uh, in, the, in the thousands every week. And one of the questions we get asked is, you know, I'm dealing with a, 
a setback, I've got a particular challenge, whether it's health related or financial or relationship breakup, or it might be some, um, you know, some some mental um, challenges, for example. Um, how do you, Gilo, deal with setbacks? Because obviously in your business, you must get more than your fair share because this isn't just the setbacks of a, of a, of a dream unfulfilled. This is, you know, daily setbacks when things don't work properly and, you know, you press the button and nothing happens. How do you, how do you deal with setbacks, obstacles, challenges, call them what you will? Um, because picking yourself up multiple times must be a challenge in itself. I think there's so many good examples of people out there in the world to give one inspiration. I think if I look back to the early days, you know, one's always looking to, to some other great uh, achievement that someone else has had before you. And it's very, you know, I think that's so important as an inspiration to say, gosh, they must have had, you know, you know full well, all these, all these different people have had so many, so many setbacks, but somehow have just plowed on through. Um, but a, a big part of that also is the here and now, which is people telling you, actually, this is stupid. You should stop doing that. This isn't commercially viable or la, 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 you know, and then the engine blows up for the 10th time on the dyno and the customer's going to go and see it tomorrow. And what do you do now? You know, these things have not it's only happened kind of multiple times. Um, you, you've got to be pretty, um, you know, belligerent, I think. Um, and just to go, well, what's the worst that can happen? It didn't work after it all, but I learned massive, you know, through that process, you learn so much every time, whether it's a success or a failure. And if one can keep that in one's mind, that it actually doesn't matter in the really grand scheme of things, you will learn so much. I've, you know, we've had some colossal failures here, whether we, and, 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 you know, navigating one's way through a big failure and the fallout collectively with the team can be really challenging. But if you, if you can keep your eye on the fact that it wasn't, it's not negative, it's actually ultimately positive because you come out stronger and there's nothing to say in as well that these things don't make you stronger when you come through. So I think, you know, you know, whether, it's a, whether it's a mechanical failure, whether it's a shareholder issue that you can get your head around and, you know, you always get stronger. Uh, if, as long as you keep your head up high, I think I think that's something that I've kind of painfully had to sort of learn. And then, you know, I love I love my I have my favourite one from Winston Churchill on the wall, which was um, success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. And and I thought this is just so brilliant. I mean, obviously they're not all failures, but you've got to deal with quite a lot of stuff <laughs> without losing maximum enthusiasm as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you put that really really well. Um, what what's next then in the um... In, in the mad professor's world of innovation and, uh, and invention, what, what's coming next? And, and I guess it's sort of a sidebar question to that is, you know, uh, a lot of us, uh, the, the good old petrol engine addicts like me, uh, are kind of a little bit disappointed that everything looks like it's going to become electric by 2030, whether that does or doesn't happen, I don't know. Um, but, you know, what, what does the future look like, Jyla? Your best position to tell us what the next 10, 15, 20 years looks like and, and what are you doing about it? Well, I mean, we've been looking massively into electrification. You, you, hit, you know, hit the nail on the head. All the kind of things I'm focused on. My world revolves around, you know, machines that whiz people around, whether it's on the land, sea or air. So that's my kind of the, the, the lens I look at the world through in many ways from day to day. Um, and, you know, I can see that um, not only are people obviously going to be having all these exciting experiences with, I, I mean, I'm very excited about it because we're going to be opening up 
a whole range of experiences that people can have without making noise, without upsetting the environment, with little maintenance, so much easier to use products, um, with electrification of, of everything, of all powered sports. You know, and there's something very beautiful about that. Whether you're whether you're flying over the surface of the sea or flying through the air quietly, you're far more. It's far less offensive to to nature and to pe- and to people who are nearby. And I and I'm really excited about that future. You know, we're electrifying everything we're doing. And we're not saying goodbye to our to our petrol engines. We're just powering them on 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 different fuels so that they're clean. You know, um, but but fundamentally, I look at all the products that we build, for example, and and the same with many other companies and many other companies around the world. By going quiet when you're out there having fun on this machine, where you're not upsetting someone nearby. You know, look at electric mountain biking, for example. We're, we're just launching a new electric motorbike, you know, a really cool off-road bike, and you can go places where you could never otherwise go with a petrol engine bike, and no one's upset, and you're just having a lovely time, and it's so much more fun to be able to go out and think I'm not upsetting anyone but having a time in my life in this thing and so I think you know it's looking at the world through my lens and electrification because I think it's a hugely positive step and I'm just hoping that that, that all the things we hear all the time about new battery tech come true (laughs) because it will be a true revolution then I mean when we when we double the energy density of batteries and it's so off my out of my sort of um capabilities that sort of thing chemistry and it's not something we've decided to stay outside of that realm but it, it is it is the next massive leap for us as a, as a as a as a mankind ultimately, whether it's aviation, personal aviation, you know, vehicles, transport of equipment, logistics. It is an unbelievable revolution waiting to happen there. Um, I mentioned earlier on that my uh, small research team were getting very excited when they started delving into the life of uh, of Gilo Cardozo, and um, and I can understand why now. Um, but uh, for those people listening all around the world that would love to know a bit more about you, how do they find out more about the business? Um, have you got a website? Are you on social media? Where, where do they track you down, Gilo? So my main website for all of our, we've got a little group of companies, um, giloindustries.com, that's G-I-L-O industries.com, is their kind of the hub. And then from that, we have the satellite companies, Mako, Board Sports, Parajet, um, Crichton Motorcycles, and we have Rotron Power, which is our engine and electric motor company. And so we have this, so they're all got their own websites, all specific to what they do, but they're all, you can visit them all through our jaloindustries.com. Isn't it ironic that all those years ago when you set up in your, uh, your little shed um, and called yourself Gilo Industries, little did you know that you would actually form a group of companies and be able to legitimately call yourself Gilo Industries? Um, well, we still got a long way to go. We're getting there bit by bit. <laughs> you are doing a phenomenal job. I've I've seen up close and personal a lot of, of the stuff you're doing. And for those listening, you've got to check this this kit out. It's absolutely incredible. Um, that the you know definitely the future of lots of different forms of of transport, whether as as Jale mentions earlier, um, sea, road, air. Um, take your pick. There's there's something for everyone. It's it's really fascinating. Do check the website out. Final question, Jilo. We ask all our guests this question. And uh, of all the people listening around the world, they probably think it's quite boring by now, but it is very important because, you know, you've, you've had lots of successes, you've suffered lots of setbacks along the way. Uh, and if somebody, let's say a younger version of, of you, came up to you one day and said, putting aside, you know, all the successes, all the failures, if you could just help me to find a way through all of the noise and the stuff that we call life, and you could just give me one principle, one rule to live my life by that was 
that was something that transcended all the other rules that you may wish to live your life by, what would that one thing be if it was one thing and nothing else? Ooh, I mean, this is probably what I would say is um, the same as probably what I, I, I hope not. Well, I imagine probably most people can say uh, on, on the journey to try and get to where you want to go um, is that you, you, you essentially have to keep badgering on. You know, you've got to, you, you can't stop at failure. Um, it's the one fundamental rule that sort of keeps keeps coming up basically along the journey and it doesn't really matter whether it's family life or work life or whatever you know you just staying positive when things aren't looking great if you can if you if you can muster that up never give up is i suppose is, is there or never giving up is the is the sort of but also knowing when to if it's absolutely necessary <laughs> it's a kind of balance because it's it's not you know there are times when you go that one's absolutely reached the, the it's not worth pursuing that particular thing anymore i'm going to try a different tack but i'm not stopping anyway it's that it's that kind of not giving up in principle is the fundamental thing trying a different way if you get stuck there's always a way around it well you were almost apologetic and say you thought a number of people would have come up with that answer but actually very few have everyone has their own kind of definition which is why we deliberately ask the question so I think you articulated that really well, actually. And uh, it is a fundamental principle that we, you know, we really mustn't forget. So it's, it's nice to be reminded of that um, by one or two guests from time to time. And it's been a long while since someone has given us that, that answer, Gilo. So um, unfortunately, though, I would love to go on talking to you. Um, and before long, I must come down and uh, have a little play on some of these toys that you talk about. Um, I, I, I will thank our mutual friend for introducing us because it's been really fascinating talking to you. And hopefully everyone listening from different parts of the world will have thought so too. Um, you, you might well have a rush of searches to your website now as a consequence of this, uh, of this podcast today. But um, Jilo Cardozo, um, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really, for, for, for a non-techie like me, um, I, I found it really, really insightful. And um, you know, I, there's no doubt at all in my mind and, and to those listening that you are seriously going places. So um, long may you continue to do what you're doing, wishing you every success moving forward. and. Uh, and hopefully you'll have a, a, a few more fans um, checking checking you out and, and who knows, maybe purchasing a few bits and pieces from you. Yeah, but, so. yeah. but, but mostly today, um, just the insight you've given us into, into the future, uh, but also sticking with, you know, some of the things, because as we've said before, you know, you're in one of those longer term industries where uh, fighting the fight consistency consistently is that little bit more difficult, more challenging than if you've got the little short term goals. So, um, it's, it's been great having you on the on the show today and uh, there will be many, many people very grateful for hearing what you had to say. Andre, thank you so much for giving the opportunity. Great. Thank you to all of those of you listening once again to the Sandro Forte podcast. Nearly three years in, we're still going strong uh, because it's people like Jilo that, uh, that keep us going because so many of you love listening to the anecdotes and the musings of people who have achieved success and overcome life challenges. Remember to... Follow us, tell your friends and family about us, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and of course, we're out there on iTunes and Spotify every single week. Do let us know uh, via the email address, hello at sandrospodcast.com or Gilo directly if you'd like to. Please remember to leave those reviews on iTunes. That's quite important. So we know what kind of guests you'd like in the future. And remember, do connect with me. It's at Sandro40 on Twitter and the real Sandro40 on Instagram. Once again, until this time next week, in another 
great Sandro Forte guests because they all are. Goodbye for now.